Our scripture lesson today comes from the gospel according to John. Let us uh, unite our hearts in prayer. Holy God, as we come before these holy words, help us to meditate on you. Give us eyes to behold you. Give us ears to listen for your word. Give us a heart to love you and the world. And give us a life, O God, that proclaims you through the power of your spirit, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Our text comes from the Gospel according to John, and I'm reading from chapter 1. I'm reading uh, beginning at the ninth verse and down through the 18th verse. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. John testified to Jesus and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made him known. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. So this past week, I went to see the movie, 12 Years a Slave. Maybe you've seen or heard about this movie. Maybe you have set aside your own reservations and maybe a desire for a feel-good movie and also been to see it. For most of us, this is not the kind of movie that we enjoy seeing, but it remains, I think, an important movie that we should see and think about. Twelve Years a Slave emerges from a true story, one person's honest experience in the harsh world of slavery in the mid-1800s in this country. When I use the phrase harsh world of slavery, I'm referring to the violence and the brutality of slavery. This is well depicted in the movie. Lashings, lynchings, cruel living conditions, beatings, and more. Much of that is indeed difficult to watch. But what's worse, and what's evident all through the institution of slavery, was the constant threat of violence, the constant demeaning of human beings, the perpetual sense of isolation and hopelessness and despair that existed for most slaves. So there was the violence, and then there was the the effect of violence, the oppression, the broken spirits, the hopelessness, the utter, utter degradation of humanity, so prevalent in slavery. So the movie tells the true story of a successful black entrepreneur, Solomon Northrup, who's from Saratoga, New York. 
He was a learned and talented musician who, in 1843, accepted an invitation to go and participate in a musical performance in Washington, D.C. And while there in Washington, he was drugged and kidnapped and taken to Louisiana, where he was sold as a slave. Solomon worked on, 12, on, uh, three, on three different plantations for 12 years before he was able to contact his former friends and acquaintances in New York who were willing to take the risk and come and free him. Throughout those 12 years as a slave, the movie depicts the various ways that whites responded to slavery. As we know, some whites used their power and their ownership to harm and demean and brutalize slaves even quoting scripture to rationalize it. Others sought to be kind, to provide for their slaves, though they were not willing and could not even imagine working to change the system. Some knew slavery was wrong, but did not have the courage to change it, nor the strength to change it. It was such an ingrained system throughout the South. And some, of course did work to abolish slavery and free individual slaves, even at great cost. Now, the movie also depicts how slaves struggled through the atrocities of slavery. Some fought the system and lost their lives quite quickly. A few worked the system and found a way to improve their situation. Most of them kept their heads low, bore the pain and the suffering, and simply tried to survive each day. And all this is depicted well in the movie. What remains most painful and most poignant in this story is how we come to identify with Solomon. Though he was a free man, he had no way of escaping slavery in a world where he could not prove his freedom. He had no standing as a human being in a society where he was only a piece of property, which means he could never appeal his case or plead for help. And perhaps most difficult of all, the slaves on the plantation were basically kept isolated from each other. They had to watch each other being beaten and abused, raped and lashed. They were often forced to brutalize each other, knowing that any protest or any counteraction would simply cause them to be more beaten or more brutalized themselves. While the movie's images remind us of the vivid details and the atrocities of slavery and all that we can do to one another as human beings, 12 Years a Slave also offers some hope. There are those who did and will stand up against the sin and evil of the world. Solomon does eventually regain his freedom in 1853. People with courage risked and reached out to help him. He returned to New York. He wrote the story. He spent the balance of his life working in the abolitionist movement. And this kind of movie only demands of us as faithful people that we look with clarity and we look with compassion at our own lives. What evils and atrocities might be blinding us today? 
Looking back, it's hard to believe that any Christian could believe that slavery was a fair practice. But they did, in shocking numbers, and for a very long time. We know this. We know it well. We remain surrounded by reminders of this culture right here where we live. We are dealing with issues from that institution, even still in this city and throughout this region. We are still recovering. We are still trying to heal. We're still trying to find forgiveness and redemption, especially in Richmond and near one of the largest slave markets in all the world in the mid-1950s, right in Shaco Bottom. And so we have to keep asking, what are our assumptions? What are our practices where we are caught up in sin and evil, in injustice and denigration of human life? Where are we complicit? Where are we going along with things that need to change? But we don't see how to change it. Or we don't have the courage to act. Where are the places that we need courage? And God's guidance. And where are the places that we need more foresight? And more fortitude? And more faithfulness? To stand up for what is right and good. Today's scripture lesson comes from the first chapter of John's gospel. John is introducing us to Jesus, the Christ, the Word made flesh. And John says this, The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him. All who received him, all who believed in his name, He gave power to become the children of God. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, full of grace and full of truth. This is a summary of the good news of the gospel. God has come into our midst. We have seen His glory. Emmanuel is among us. We have been given power to become the children of God. In these words, John is introducing us to Jesus so that we might actually become people of Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene, the Word made flesh, so that we might be people not of evil and not of cruelty and atrocity, but of love and light of God also. Jesus comes on the scene, becomes one with us, Emmanuel, so that our lives might not be caught up in the things of the flesh, he says. That would be degradation and brutality and violence and oppression. But the things of God, healing, love, light, help, support, forgiveness, and life, The point of these words and the point of all the words in all the Gospels that are introducing us to Jesus is that God is in our midst. The Creator God is among us. And when we see God in our midst, 
We see and experience what God cares most about. We see and experience most what God wants. We see and experience and appreciate what God appreciates most. Love, healing, light, justice, joy for all. That's what God cares about. That's what God wants. The whole story of the Bible is about salvation and life, freedom and hope, not oppression and death. The whole story of the Bible is God giving people light. The light shines in the darkness, it says just a few verses before what I read, and about love. Love and about showing us how to love. The whole story of God is about generosity, not greed. The whole story of the Bible is about us serving others, not finding who might serve us. John says, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And the gospel of John says that to all who received him, he gave power to become the children of God. This journey of becoming children of God, this receiving power to become the children of God, that is so compelling to me. The coming of Jesus intends to change us, change who we are, change what we do, and change the world. We have been given power to become children of God. So in these early days of the new year, 2014, seems like a good time to check on who we're becoming. Check on our motives. Check on our involvements. Check on our lives. Our lives about loving God and loving God's people? Or are they about something else? None of us are pure. We're not. We admit it. We do things for self and selfish gain. We become very good at rationalizing and justifying certain behaviors and ways. And it is easy to become blind. Blind to the things that God might say are atrocities. So the question is always, how can I use what I've been given? How can I receive all these blessings and not seek to be a blessing for others? instead of just accumulating and receiving and spending in ways that suit me? How can what we do be more and more about loving God and loving others? How can we organize our time and set aside our money so that God's reign actually comes? This is what Jesus comes to ask us. How can and should I orient my life so that I, how can you orient your life so that you are an agent of goodness and grace and love and light and hope in the world? The word becomes flesh, full of grace and truth. And we've been given power to become children of God. How can we together at Second Presbyterian Church Advocate for God's ways of justice and joy for all God's people. Because epiphany is to change how we see 
and change the world? These are worthwhile and important questions for faithful life as we seek to become the children of God. We keep working on it. We claim that identity at the baptismal font. We're called to keep living in it. So the new days of 2014 are good days to ask, do our lives honor God? Or do they bring tears to God's eyes? Do our lives increase love or promote more brutality around the world? We have constant and important work to do in our own lives and in our church together and across this city and throughout the world. We have important work to do to become children of God. We have been shown the way. Jesus is the way, and we're called to go that way. Go that way. Some of you know that one of my favorite people to read and think about is a man named Howard Thurman. He was a civil rights activist. He was a theologian. He was a writer. He was a professor. He was a wonderful person in the last century. And here is a poem by Howard Thurman, and it's always appropriate in those days right after Christmas. So listen to Howard Thurman's brief poem. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and the shepherds are home, when the shepherds are back with their flock, the work of Christmas begins to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among brothers and sisters, to make music in the heart. May that be our way in these days and forever as God gives us power to become the children of God. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we believe, we ask you to help us in our unbelief, and we ask you to empower us to become truly your children, following Christ our Lord. Amen.